Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We know David's life had its ups and downs, his faithfulness and his faithlessness, but he always returns to God's promises. How do you handle life's circumstances? Do you try to take action like the Zerua boys, or do you rest in God's mercy and his promises? You're listening to The Humiliation of King David by Rev. Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading tonight is from the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 16, we'll be reading uh, verses 5 through 14. This is right in the middle of the cycle of David's stories. This is right in the middle of David's story. And just to give you a sense of where we are in the sweep of David's story, which is important, this is after he's committed adultery with Bathsheba and all the stuff that goes with that, uh, and, and things have sort of gotten complicated, and he's in the middle of a civil war right now. Specifically, Absalom is marching on Jerusalem, and because Absalom is stronger than David, or so it seems, David is leaving town and doesn't know if he'll ever be back. And this is what happens as he leaves Jerusalem. As King David approached Baurim, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shimei, son of Gera, and he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones, though all the troops in the special guard were on David's right and left. I mean, this is like a suicide mission for Shimei. And as he cursed, Shimei said, get out, get out, you murderer and you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a murderer. Then Abishai, son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord and king? Let me go over there and cut off his head. But the king said, what does this have to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? If he's cursing because the Lord said to him, curse David, who can ask, why do you do this? David then said to Abishai and to all his officials, my son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore to me his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing him as he went and throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. The king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted. And there he refreshed himself. This is the word of the Lord. It's really a remarkable story, isn't it? Really a remarkable story. And, and definitely not one that um, sort of rises to the top of the list of the ones that your Sunday school teacher tells you. I mean, you may know the story, but it's not one that you hear preached much or told much to, as a child. And it's hard, not hard to see why that is. It's so incredibly sad, right? It's tragic in almost a Shakespearean sense. 
poor David, everything has come apart in his life. His family's come apart. His kingship has come apart. His life has come apart. And it didn't used to be this way, right? David was celebrated, right? He was the the shepherd boy who slew Goliath. The crowds used to cheer him as he went by. Remember, Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. They said, David, you're the man. David, you're awesome. David, I want to name my kids after you. And now the man who is on top of the world has come to this. He's walking along the road out of Jerusalem towards this town. And his head is hung and his life has come apart. And for good measure, this man named Shimei, a descendant of Saul, is standing on the hillside and pelting him with stones and dirt and filth. It is the humiliation of King David. Shimei, as he curses David, has a very specific accusation for David. David is no longer celebrated. Now, according to Shimei, David, you are an Ish Hadamim. You are a no good Ish Hadamim. He makes that accusation two times in our passage. And it's translated in the English translation as murderer, but what it literally means is man of blood. David, you're a man of blood. The reason you are coming to ruin is because you, David, are a man of blood. And Shimei calls David a man of blood. He makes this accusation because he thinks that David is guilty of killing his family, right? He's from Saul's family. And he thinks that David is the one who's guilty because most of Saul's people have been killed, including King Saul. And he thinks David's responsible, that he has Saul's blood on his hands. And what's interesting is that if you know the story of Samuel, is David guilty of of killing Saul? And the answer is no. Uh, Really, David is not responsible for the death of Saul's family. David tries to protect Saul's family. David mourns when Saul dies. So David is innocent of Shimei's accusation. And yet, he lets Shimei keep showering with rocks. He doesn't confront him. Why? Because he knows that even though he is innocent of the specific accusation that Shimei is making, he is guilty of that larger accusation. David knows that he is an Ish Hadamim. He really is a man of blood, but it's not Saul's blood on his hand, it's Uriah's, right? He commits adultery with Bathsheba, does this treacherous thing, gets Bathsheba pregnant, and then has Uriah killed as a way to cover it up, one treachery on top of another, and after that treachery, after that act of blood, everything falls apart for David. If you read 1 Samuel and all the David stories, it's like a turning point in the stories. Before that, David is a hero. Everything's going well for David. He's not perfect, but everything seems to have this kind of arc. When he commits adultery with Bathsheba, everything goes like this. Everything wobbles. His, His family turns against him. His kingdom falls apart. It's civil war. So it's not just Uriah's blood on his hands. It's the blood of Tamar. Tamar is one of David's daughters, and her half-brother, Amnon, ends up raping Tamar. And David does nothing about it. He's lost moral authority in his family. He just lets it go, which makes Absalom furious. Absalom is Tamar's brother. And what does Absalom do? He kills Amnon. Brother killing brother. That's what precipitates 
this civil war. And so David is guilty of Uriah's blood and Tamar's blood and Absalom's blood and Amnon's blood and the blood of thousands of young Israelites who are going to be killed in this civil war. He is a man of blood. He did this. His weakness, his vanity, his lust. And so he lets Shimei shower him with dust and rocks and curses as he walks along the road. Even though we know David is guilty, it's hard not to feel sorry for him as he goes because he was such a great man. And though we've never probably been in a place quite like the place where David is in this story, we can sympathize with what it's like to be in a place where it feels like your whole world is falling apart. Where everything you've worked for, where everything you've hoped for is collapsing in an instant. Many of us have been in a situation like that on a smaller scale than David. And we can sympathize because we know what it feels like to be a man or a woman of blood. We all know what it's like to do things that bring chaos into our families and into our lives, foolish things that we look back on with deep regret. And we even know what it's like to have someone like Shimei shower us with rocks and dirt. Now, I know that no one has ever stood on a hillside that I know of and showered you with rocks and dirt, but most of us are our own Shimei, right? Berating ourselves for our failures as we walk along the road, you fool. You idiot, how could you do what you did? What do you do when you're being pelted by life circumstances and it looks like everything's falling apart? Abishai has an answer to that question. Abishai thinks he knows what to do. Abishai is a son of Zeruiah. The sons of Zeruiah are some of David's mighty men. You remember those guys? They're David's warrior friends. And there are two sons of Zeruiah left. There's Abishai and there's Joab. Joab is David's army commander, remember? And the sons of Zeruiah are are strong guys and they have a sort of a creed in life. They're these repeat characters who keep showing up throughout the David stories. And, And They have a very specific creed for what you do when life sends you troubles. If life is getting you down, simply apply brute force. If you are in conflict with somebody else, here's what you do. You kill that person without mercy. That's Abishai's answer in this this passage. Why should this dead dog curse my Lord and my King? Let me go over there and cut off his head. In Abishai's view, there's Nothing that shedding of blood caused that can't be solved by further shedding of blood. And this isn't just a one-off thing. Abishai's solution here is typical of the sons of Zeruiah. This is not the first time we met Abishai. I wonder if anyone remembers the first time Abishai shows up in the David stories. Do you remember 1 Samuel 26? David sneaks into Saul's camp when he's not king yet. Remember that? And he sneaks in with another man. That other man is Abishai. And they sneak in and they find Saul there and he's fast asleep and his spear is stuck in the ground. And do you remember what Abishai says? Let us take his spear and stick it right through him, right in the ground where he sits. That's a Zeruiah brother for you. Joab is the same way. 
Remember how Joab took care of Abner? Abner was Saul's general and came over to David's side. Joab didn't like Abner's rivalry. Remember what Joab did? He pretended to call Abner over to have a little conversation, took out a dagger and stuck it into him treacherously. He didn't just do that with Abner. He did that with another general named Amasa later. That's the Zeruiah boys. Or think of Absalom. Do you remember who killed Absalom? It was Joab. They found him hanging from a tree and David had given specific instructions. Have mercy on my boy. Don't kill the boy. Joab thinks that's weak. And so he skewers him as he's hanging there from his hair. The Zeruya boys have a solution to life's problems, and that's fight. If someone hits you, you hit back twice as hard. Ruthlessness is the answer to life's problems. Have you ever seen the, the movie A Few Good Men? I'm not going to go through the whole movie. I'm just going to assume that a critical mass of you have seen it. And the, 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 the character in there, Colonel Jessup, Jack Nicholson, you can't handle the truth. Colonel Jessup would be a good Zeruya boy. He'd fit right in. And that's an answer, right, that people give when life is falling down around them, when trouble is overwhelming them, fight. If someone hits you, hit back twice as hard. Never apologize, never give in. And if you have to fight dirty sometimes, well, you know what? The world is not a fair place, and sometimes you just got to do what needs to be done. David explicitly rejects the creed of the Zeruya boys. What does this have to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? Did you hear the way David phrased that? It's like he recognizes, oh, this is how you guys like to do things. What does this have to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? I know your creed, and I reject it. Instead, in this moment, David owns his own guilt. He owns his own powerlessness. He won't use the ruthlessness of Abishai's sword, and he chooses a different way. And he does that in verse 12. So important. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore to me his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. David realizes he doesn't know what to do with the mess he made. He knows that the mess he made has gotten out of control, that he sowed the wind and is now reaping the whirlwind. But instead of trying to fight harder and apply brute force, what does he do? He rests in God's promises. He practices mercy. He is still. And he rests in the covenant promises of God. How does that work out for David? That solution, rather than fighting, resting in the promises of God. It works out okay in his lifetime. He gets restored to the kingdom. He does come back. Absalom loses, right? We know that. And he ends up back in Jerusalem as king. But still, the rest of his life is like this. And even when Solomon takes over, it's not until after a civil war. You have to look well after what David says in verse 12, to hear the answer to that prayer and to the answer of David relying on those covenant promises. Here's a little detail in the passage that I saw this week. Where is David when Shimei showers him with stones? What does the text say? He's approaching a town called Bahurim. Well, where's Bahurim? It's right by the Mount of Olives. It's on the northeast side 
of the Mount of Olives. Okay? It says there that Shimei is showering him stones from the hillside. He's probably standing on the Mount of Olives where he's throwing those stones. So David would, Jerusalem's here, Mount of Olives is here. David would be coming up over at the top of the Mount of Olives. Do you know what else is up on the top of the Mount of Olives? I've never been to Jerusalem, I, I hate to say, but I researched it. You know what else is up there? Right along that road, along the north side? The Garden of Gethsemane. The place where David walked is also where the son of David knelt. The place where David experiences his humiliation is the place where the son of David began his humiliation. The place where David walked under a hail of curses is where the Son of Man began to bear the curse. What does Jesus do in the Garden of Gethsemane? What does he pray about? He prays that he may be able to accept the cup. What is in that cup? The curse. Not just the curses that Shimei is throwing down on David, but the curses that fall on all of us men and women of blood. All our failures, all our sins, all our weaknesses, all our fears, all our anxieties are in that cup that Jesus bears and begins to take on in the Garden of Gethsemane. When you realize where Jesus is, you begin to see that the parallels in the two stories are absolutely remarkable. Both men have been betrayed by the people who are closest to them. Both men have had friends who have abandoned them and fled. Both men have been put under a curse. Both men endure mockery and abuse, but keep silent and take it. And more than that, show mercy to the people who are giving it. Both men have the power to call down armies, but refuse. And both men in their situations have this answer. Not my will, power but your will, O Lord. When you see the parallels, all of a sudden that prayer that David has in verse 12 becomes much, much bigger. Leave him alone, says David. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore covenant blessing instead of a curse. All of a sudden, you realize that in Jesus, God answers that prayer at a scale that David could not possibly have foreseen. He bears the curse not only of David, but of the entire world. Let's reflect again on what David does here. Before I did this exegesis and laid this out for you, if you were looking at this story, if you just read it yourself, how would you describe what, Jesus, what, what David does here? Um, I think you might say, he did nothing. David is passive. He doesn't act in this story. And you might even say, and I think the sons of Zeruiah would say, David is a doormat in this story. He lets people walk all over him. He's weak. He's pathetic. But I disagree. David is not passive in this story. He chooses something. David is not powerless in this story. He chooses a very different sort of power. He chooses the power of God's covenant promises and the power of his mercy. In this moment, when David makes this choice, he's saying to the sons of Zeruiah, know you guys, the story of this world is not ruthlessness and, and power of the sword, 
The story of this world is a story of God's covenant promises and his mercy. And that mercy is stronger than the lies and the noise of the ruthless. On a very personal level, David says, Lord, I know I've made a mess and I know I've lost my control. It's too big for me. Lord, I give it to you because you promised. That move David makes where he recognizes when it's getting too big for him and takes it and lifts it up to God and says, it's too big for me. I give it to you and your promises. That is spiritual maturity. That is a move that we all have to learn to make at some point in our lives. Lord, I'm doing the best I can and I promise I'll keep trying, but it's too big for me. Here, you take it. You promised. My wandering child who won't come back to church. Lord, I've tried everything. I've tried everything and I promise I'll keep trying, but it's too big for me. I don't know what to do anymore. Here you go. You promised. My persistent sin and failure, this flaws in my character that keep coming back and make me do things that I regret over and over again. I'm trying to get rid of them and I promise I'll keep trying, but Lord, it's too big for me. Here you go. You take it. You promised. My sense of loss because someone who was very dear to me in my life is gone and I, I can't get over the loss. No, I, Lord, I know I'm supposed to be a Christian who believes in your resurrection and, and not feel the, the pain of this loss, but I can't, I can't shake it. I'm sad all the time. I'll keep trying, Lord. But here you go. You take it. You promised. It may be that the Lord will look on our misery and restore to us our covenant blessing instead of curse today. He will. And in Jesus, he already has. Thanks be to God. Lord God, every single person in this room, um, you know us, Lord. We're your children. You know us better than we know ourselves. And you know that we're trying. Trying to be your people. Trying to walk your paths. Trying to let your love fill us, and you know all the ways in which we still manage to mess that up, all the ways in which we are men and women of blood. Thank you, Lord, that your blood cleanses our sins. We lift up to you our lives, which are more complicated than we can deal with, and we say to you again, take them, heal them, fulfill your promises in us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.